If you remember, of course, I think it was right as we uh, got into the new year. Of course, we've had a few change. You know, we had a prayer and fasting revival, and then a number of things on Wednesday night. But I began a, uh, a study in my own personal life of uh, some passages in the book of Hebrews, and um, I titled it Hebrews Resolutions. Do you remember that? Hebrews resolutions and there are a number of passages in the book of Hebrews that exhort us uh, in fact the writer and we suppose it's Paul uh, most feel like it's Paul some may are not sure but uh, there are many times in the book of Hebrews that he admonished the writer admonishes us with this word or these two words let us everybody say let us and uh, these are very very important uh, and uh, I believe it's about 14 times the writer exhorts us to do something. And so as I begin to, in my own life, uh, uh, I came across those in my personal study. I made them a personal a goal of mine to do those. If the apostle writing uh, says, I want you to do this, then I think that would be wise to do that. Somebody say amen. So before we get into that, let's pray together and just ask the Lord to be with us tonight. I believe He wants to speak to us. Thank you, Lord, for Your Spirit, God, and Your Word. Lord, I praise You tonight for the privilege, Lord, to come to know You and Your Word, O Lord, in greater ways. Lord, thank You for Your Spirit that's a God. I'm praying tonight that Your Spirit would guide us, Lord. I'm praying tonight, Lord, Your Spirit would speak to us, Lord. In the name of Jesus. Encourage your people, Lord. Touch those that that maybe, Lord, have drifted, O God. Strengthen those, Lord, that may be weak, O God. In the name of Jesus, encourage those that may be discouraged, Lord. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. And everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Uh, Let's review for just a minute. I think it's very important that we recognize what the writer of Hebrews is exhorting us. And in the fourth chapter, we find in the first verse, the very first let us. And in Hebrews 4 and 1, it says, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest any of you should seem to come short of it. Now that passage uses a word fear, which means not so much afraid or scared as we would think in those terms, but it uses a word for respect or reverence. And it says, let us uh, move with respect or reverence, considering a promise God has left us a promise of entering into rest and that we would fail to grab hold of that promise. I want every promise that he's ever declared in my life, I want to grab a hold of it. I want to see it come to pass. Somebody say amen. And uh, then the scripture says in verse 2, Hebrews 4 and 2, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as to them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. And there are many promises God gives us, and we don't necessarily know how they're going to be brought to pass. Uh, One in the scripture is God's promise to Abraham. And he said, I'm going to give you and Sarah a child. We know how Abraham wasn't sure that that promise was going to come to pass. But God's able to do what he said he would do regardless of how old we get or how the situation changes. Somebody say amen. 
Amen. So I want to hold on to God's word. He said things to us personally. I think we need to hold on to that word. He said it to us about our families. We don't need to let go of that. With holy reverence, we need to press for every promise that God has spoken to us. Somebody say amen. Uh, the bitter conflict fact, I, I love history, and one portion of history that I really enjoy is uh, uh, early American history, and, and uh, one portion of that would be the struggle uh, that our nation went through uh, in, in what they call the Civil War, and there were some interesting uh, stories regarding uh, that time, and one, uh, a sad story is that uh, when the uh, Civil War ended, there were soldiers that were freed to go back to their families, but there are case after case, documented case, that a number of, of those soldiers remained hidden because they did not believe that the war was over, and they, uh, their lives subsisted of gathering berries, and, and they continued to endure miserable conditions, and some even died, and many found emaciated and in fear and afraid and to convince that person that the war was over was very, very difficult. Even though it was true, it was a difficult task. I don't want to miss any promise that God has for me. I believe what he says. I know sometimes it seems far-fetched, but God's able to do what he said he would do. I want to, with fear, press toward the promise that he's given me. And then in chapter 4, verse 11, the writer says again, let us not only fear, but let us labor or strive. Everybody say strive. Let us labor is the term. And it's very, very important. Uh, we find where the Old Testament characters are mentioned. And they all had their, their uh, exciting times in God. Let's call them spiritual experiences. They had the smoking mountain, the law given to them, which was a type of the day of Pentecost. The cloud that covered the mountain and the mountain shook. And Moses walking up into that darkness on that mountain. They had seen incredible things. But the Bible tells us that even with those experiences, they failed to enter into what God had for them. I want everything God has for me. Amen. I don't want to be satisfied with just feeling good at, at moments in my life and say, well, I have a half a dozen or a dozen spiritual experiences and that's enough for me. I want to make sure I press on past all those spiritual experiences. I don't want to take anything for them, but I don't want to think that's the exhaustive work of God in my life. He's got something fresh for me. <laughs> He's got something higher for me. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I want to strive and labor to enter into it. And it causes me to think of, everybody say strive, striving, striving. Uh, that may be a term you, uh, that you know, brings to mind struggle. And when you think about struggle, uh, I've, I've wanted to do this. I hadn't got the chance to. I've got some friends that uh, say, uh, come up and we'll take you. But I, I get fascinated by what, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, it's the salmon run uh, that happens in Alaska in the Northeast. It fascinates me. Fascinates me. And uh, what, what's amazing about this salmon run is that 
months earlier, they, they've, they've, they've hatched and they've gone 700 miles out into the Pacific Ocean. And in the Pacific Ocean, something begins to happen. Uh, that gestation period begins and they leave the Pacific Ocean. And for months, they begin their run up the Columbia River. And they, they run up the Columbia River and they run up the Snake River and then they run up the main fork of the Salmon River to the East Fork uh, into a little uh, Seshik River, into a little Lake Creek. 700 miles they struggle. And they are driven by instinct. They swim against currents. They jump over waterfalls. They go around hydroelectric dams. Despite eagles, bears, and many other predators, they struggle to reach the spawning grounds to lay their eggs and then die. Well, I see that in nature. Their journey reminds me of a human journey. We too have a homing instinct, whether we realize it or not. In the soul of a man, we understand that there is a God, and we're going to see him someday. <laughs> Amen. And there's something in us that realizes that this world, we just can't live our lives in a, in a temporal realm and be satisfied. We're not satisfied with a new job. We're not satisfied with another kid. Come on now. We're not satisfied with a bigger house or a smaller house or going and trading in our vehicle. The best day of your life becomes the worst day of your life, all in a matter of hours when you buy that boat. <laughs> and it started for the guy that owned it before you. <laughs> but you get it home and you realize there's more trouble than you, uh, you knew about. Well, we all have struggles in our lives. And friend, if we had hope in this life, we'd be of all men most miserable. There's something in us that says we're going back to our place of origin. One of these days I'm going to be with the Lord and I'm going to strive. Come on, I want to say something to you. It doesn't matter how difficult the going gets. Keep on striving to enter in. Keep on laboring. I'm going to keep on keeping on. Oh, come on, let's praise the Lord right now. I love you, Jesus. Oh, I praise you, Jesus. I'm striving. Turn to your neighbor and tell him I want to strive. Let us strive to enter in. And notice what quickly follows verse 11. It says we need to strive, let us labor to enter in. But right behind that verse, all of a sudden, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know this verse. Now, he says, let us labor to enter in, and then he explains to us the power of the Word of God. You ever wonder why somebody gives up? Well, there could be a lot of reasons. But he follows up. Come on, don't give up. Keep striving with a word in verse 12 and 13, I'm not going to read it, but with a word about uh, the power that's in the Word of God. Now that's interesting. Uh, I want you to help me with this. I know you know this. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God opens our ears, and as we hear the Word, that hearing becomes faith. But James says, faith without works is what? 
So that really means if you hear too much and you do nothing about it, your faith will die. This is not about how much preaching we've heard. It's about what we've heard, us not doing anything about it. And Paul said, or the writer says, keep on striving. But the danger is, God's word can do its work. But the danger is, if you don't mix it with faith... It's like those old lepers sitting at the Samaritan gate. What they said is emphatically true about themselves. But what they said is emphatically true about us spiritually. They said, why sit here until we die? If we sit here, we're going to die. I've got to get up. I've got to make an effort. I've got to mix my faith with some action. Somebody say amen. So that leads me tonight to a couple of more let us commands. Verse 14, seeing then that we have a, high, a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Say it with me. Let us hold fast. Say it again. Let us hold fast. All Christians struggle. Every child of God struggles. And many times it's in two crucial areas that will make or break us in our Christian life. And many times it's perseverance in times of, of trial. And the other time is a struggle in prayer. Somebody say amen. But as you know, they are connected. A vital prayer life is essential to enduring trials. In fact, failure to endure trials is a mark of the seed sown, Jesus said, on rocky ground in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus said that the seed represents those who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm root in themselves, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises, listen now, because of the word, immediately they fall fall away. I'm thankful for the preaching of the word of God. But there are times we hear God is faithful, but there's going to arise a trial that's going to combat that word of faith in our lives. We say God is faithful and all of a sudden we feel alone. And there are people that give up in the trial of their faith, Jesus said, because they have no depth. They've got rocky soil, and that word cannot take root. The word is powerful, folks. Come on, it's his living word. The problem is not with the word. Me making it has nothing to do with what kind of power is in the Word. Well, I read that verse and I quoted it and nothing happened. I want you to know, friend, we can believe what God said. We can stand on what God said. The Bible tells us that when affliction comes and arises in a very important phrase, because of the Word, because of of the word. There are things we go through that we go through just to prove the word of the Lord. I'm standing on the promises of God. 
and I want to stand the test. The writer says, seeing as we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast. Let us hold on. Saints of God, there's no better message to hear in this day and hour than to hold on. <laughs> let us hold fast. Come on, I believe God's able to do anything. I believe he is. Now one phrase in there says, seeing we have, the reason we hold on, and there's a number of phrases here that are important. Everybody say great high priest. It's in there. Seeing that we have a great high priest. That really means he's a priest in a special sense. He belongs to a completely different order of priest. In fact, in Hebrews 7, it bears that out. This is not a high priest like that ministered in the tabernacle. This is a great high priest of another order. We have a great high priest, and then it makes this statement, passed into the heavens. This passage is later described in terms of movement through the temple. Jesus is depicted as moving through the tabernacle with his own blood and entering through the veil is the word in Hebrews. The other high priests go in, and they don't go through the veil <laughs> Jesus is the one that made a way through the veil. The other priests go in and go around the veil. Jesus went through the veil. And then that natural priest would have to come back out and he was not welcome back in for another year. But Jesus didn't go behind the veil. He went through the veil. He tore it from top to bottom. In fact, he did not go in and then come back out. He went in and he's still in there. He's at the throne of mercy. He's at the throne of grace. And the Bible says we ought to hold on because we've got a high priest that's not like that temple priest. And we've got a high priest that has made a way for us. So come on, saint of God, hold on. It's, it's, it's going to be over soon. Hold on. Be faithful. Hold fast. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. There's a story of a preacher preacher delivering a sermon before a large congregation, and he's, he's talking about the fact that Christians... People of God can be surrounded by trouble and he's quoting out of the book of Job and he says, you know, there was trouble on the right hand and there was trouble on the left hand and there was trouble in front and there was trouble behind and he kept preaching about trouble everywhere, trouble up there, trouble back there, trouble over there and trouble over there. And all of a sudden an elderly man in the congregation who'd served the Lord for a long time jumped to his feet and began to shout he said glory to God but it's always open at the top and everybody thought well you know I had never thought of it that way I got trouble all around me but there's a way out Jesus is the way and I may have trouble up there and trouble back there and trouble over there and trouble over there but there's no trouble up there Come on, I said there's, that's why the scripture says lift up your head. 
Oh, come on, folks. God is faithful. The writer said, hold to your profession. We have a great high priest. Everybody say a great high priest who has passed into the heavens. That's an important phrase. And then it describes him. It identifies him. Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus is our high priest. That's great news. Oh, that's incredible news. You know why? This news is mentioned just before we are told to hold fast. We have a high priest that's not like the earthly priest. He has passed through the tabernacle making a way for us through the veil. And it's Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast means remain firmly committed to hold something, to retain it in your hand. Profession, actually, the word confession in the Greek is what that means. It means an open vow of some belief or opinion that says don't go back on your vow. Something that you know is true, keep holding on to it. Somebody say amen. So let us remain firmly committed to and hold on to what we have believed to be true. And I hasten to a close. Hebrews 4, 16, two verses later. Let us hold fast to our profession. That vow, that belief, that, we, that, that firm foundation of belief, let's hold on to it. Then the writer says, let us therefore come boldly. Let us come boldly. Say that with me. Let us come boldly. We are called, we are urged to approach. That's amazing. We are called to move into the presence of God. He says, let us come, we are urged to follow the path through the heavens that Jesus has blazed and take advantage of the access that he has provided. That's what he's saying. Let us come boldly before his presence. Approaching God is used as an image of entering into a covenant relationship with God. It says, don't be afraid. Come on in. It uses a word boldly. That's a confident expression before God. A confidence above all. A confidence willing to undertake an activity involving risk. It's not risky to, it's not a risk to doubt. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is risky business. But that's what the word boldly means. Undertake something that's going to take a risk. Move out of the safety parameters. Move into a, a realm of risk or danger, especially involved in being honest or straightforward. Come boldly before God. We ought to get risky in our worship. We ought to get risky in our prayers. We ought to get risky in our evangelism. Oh, anybody hearing what I'm saying? I was laying in bed one night. It was real dark. My house gets dark when you turn all the lights off. 
laying in bed. It's late, late at night. And all of a sudden, I hear somebody coming up the stairs in my house. I start getting a little freaked out. Hair starts standing up on my neck, and I usually have the bedroom door shut. And all of a sudden, I heard that bedroom door handle start kind of jiggling. And all of a sudden, there's a certain sound. You know, <laughs> all of a sudden, I hear that door start to open. And I, 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 we're the only ones in the house, you know. <laughs> and I'm laying there, and 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 all of a sudden, this door starts opening. And all of a sudden, I'm wide awake. Somebody's coming in my bedroom. I was a little freaked out until I realized it was my daughter. And she comes in the room and says, I want in the middle. What do you do? Well, you kind of roll over and say, get in the middle. You know why? She's not an intruder. I'm not reaching for my uh, weapon of choice. I got a machete that'll cut trees down. I'm not reaching for a machete or a shotgun. That's my child. It doesn't matter what time it is in the middle of the night and all the lights are off. If she needs in the middle, she gets in the middle. That's my child. I want you to know tonight that that's the way our heavenly father feels about us. He beckons, oh, he beckons us to come boldly. Take the risk. Come on. Don't stand outside the room saying, well, I wonder if daddy's going to get mad. No, we've got a wonderful Savior. He loves us. We're his children. Come on, what do you need from him tonight? He's able to supply it. That's my child. That's my child. A lot of people say, well, if you don't get it the first time, just keep beating on the door. There's a story in the Bible. Jesus tells a couple of parables back to back. And one of them is a parable of an unjust judge. Mike, too. Make no mistake about it, the typology is not correct. Jesus is not the unjust judge. First indicator right there that this is not talking about your heavenly father. Nowhere would he be typed as an unjust judge. So the story is not about God and somebody who needs something so bad they beat the door down until God wakes up. God's not asleep. You're not bothering him. There's all kind of problems with this typology if we make that God. Well, he didn't answer, so I'm just going to keep beating on the door. No, the Lord is exampling us a contrast. He said in the world, sometimes you feel like you've got to make things happen. But the very next parable says, but you are a good parent and you know how to give good things to your kids. How much more does your heavenly father know how to give you good things? He says, no, you wouldn't do that to your kids and I won't do that to my kids either. You do not have to beat the door down. You ask. 
Come on, I said you ask. Come boldly. Come on. Come on, somebody ought to risk right now reaching up your hand and say, Lord, I want to come boldly into your presence. I want to take the risk. Oh, hallelujah. Come boldly. Somebody say boldly. Take the risk. Take the risk. Here's what I mean. (laughs) Come boldly. There's a connotation with the word boldly in the original that means frankness. Frankness, being honest. How many know you're going through trouble? We all do it. Going through trouble, you're in prayer meeting, but you don't want to pray it too loud. Although people there should be brothers and sisters, some of them might have it going around the world by the time prayer meeting's over. So you don't want to get too loud. You'd rather just say, Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You know what I'm thinking, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Glory to God. Glory to God. Not going to say that. That's too frank. Need I remind you that when we overhear David's conversations with God, we realize he's not afraid to be completely open and honest with God. In fact, in David's writings in Psalms, he says, Oh, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger. He says, Oh, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. It's okay to say, Lord, I'm weak. I need you right now. It's all right to be bold enough to say, Lord, why are you standing afar off from me? David said, Lord, don't be silent to me. David said, Lord, plead my case, O Lord. He said, hear my prayer, O God. He said in chapter 55, I am restless and my complaint and moan is noisily. I moan noisily. Think about David approaching God and saying, help me. Listen to me. Don't be mad at me. Where are you at? Boy, what would happen if we start praying like that? Lord, where are you? When we get bold before God, David went boldly before God and he told God what was on his mind, even if he had to whisper it in prayer meeting. Somebody say, Praise the Lord. I think it's all right to tell God what's going on. I testified Tuesday night, the Lord's touched my arm, and I thank God for it. The doctor said it will not recover without surgery. Well, God does surgery that they don't even need scaffolds for. I didn't even have to go under to get that, and bless God, I didn't have to pay anything for it either. Oh, boy, that's good. I'll tell you right now, this is not going to be a political speech, but insurance and health care is a racket. Prescription drugs, that's a racket. I'll tell you, that's right. Hey, I'm preaching. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'll give you a little example. They want they finally, you know, six weeks of this mess, and they kept saying, well, you didn't do anything to it. You didn't do anything. And I know I can't even hold a cup of coffee. They said, well, we're going to finally do an MRI. And I said, okay, we're going to do an MRI. And the little nurse comes back in, and she goes, hey, Reverend, I noticed on your, on your paperwork out there that you're self-pay. I said, yes, ma'am, I am. She said, well, you know what? I, I just want to give you this option. She says, you can have that MRI here at the hospital, and it'll be $3,500. Or you can go to the imaging center, and it'll be a little over $500. Which one do you want to do? 
Oh, I want the 3,000 when that means it's better. Oh, no. I said, give me the bargain deal. I'll take the one on sale. I sat right there and thought, man, what kind of racket are they running? Uh-oh. Hope this doesn't go on the podcast. I thought, you know, it's like those insurance jobs. They know insurance is paying for it. Oh, we're gonna, that bumper's going to cost you $2,500. You can find it at the Y yard for about two hundred and fifty. Uh-oh. It's a racket. So I got right back there during the prayer and fasting revival, and they said, you're not going to get any better until you have surgery. And I thought, now, Lord, how much is that going to cost me? Had somebody tell me they're going to have to cut through all those nerves, go all the way to the bone and attach that ligament. And I said, all right, God, here's the deal. They told me this doesn't get any better without surgery, but I believe you're the great physician. You just got to get plain with him. And I said, Lord, you're able to start working on those ligaments right now. Lord, I want you to touch those ligaments right now. Held that arm up. Lord, I want you to touch those ligaments right now. I want to tell you from that day to this... I don't want to. I want. I don't want to get smart, Alec. I, I, Lord, I have. That's a battle. But I will say this: I don't want to. I don't want to say. Well, I'm not going to risk it. I think we don't want to be bold because we think we're appearing arrogant. Uh oh. So I just thought I'd get bold. I'd take a little risk. So Tuesday, I, yesterday, I decided I was going to co- cut me a truckload of wood. Now, I'm not talking about a bunch of little twigs like the tip sword boys cut. <laughs> they did me a big favor. They brought me a big load of wood, and they had some nice pieces of wood in there, but it was definitely stuff I could carry with one hand. There wasn't nothing wrong with it. It burned wonderfully, and they were gracious to me. So I'm just giving them a little hard time. But I cut some big old chunks of wood. I thought, you know what? I'm going to tell the Lord's touched me. We're going to see if this is the Lord or not. I started picking up wood, and I thought, man, I couldn't, I couldn't even hold a cup of coffee two or three weeks ago. I'm telling you, the Lord knows how to do it if we're honest with him and open with him and bold. Come on, I'm praying God, God just wipe us up with a spirit of boldness. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I love you, Jesus. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Come boldly. Somebody say, come boldly. Come boldly. Take a risk. Enter in. You've got access. Jesus provided it. (laughs) His blood made a way for you. And then there's a statement in that verse. Come boldly before the throne of grace. Throne of grace. That you may obtain mercy. Somebody say amen. Come unto the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace. Take a risk to come before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace. Now think about mercy and grace and these terms are pretty much synonymous in my head. (laughs) just in the normal mercy and grace they kind of just fit together but I think it's appropriate to recognize 
that the first mentioned is mercy. And that's relating to our past transgressions. Come boldly that you may obtain mercy. Take the risk tonight that God already knows what you've done. He already knows the failure. He already knows the mess up. He already knows the attitude situation. He understands that. But Jesus has made a way for you to stand at the throne of grace that you might obtain mercy. There are many, all of us, you know, whether it doesn't matter how young or old we are in the Lord, we need to obtain mercy. I need the Lord to cover something. And that relates to past transgressions. And the Lord knows how to forgive those things that have been done. And it says, not only come before the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy, but then a statement, you may find grace. The second mentioned mercy deals with my past sins. Grace relates to the future needs in my life that I don't even know. I need His grace. I need His grace. I think it's very important for us to recognize that that God does not tempt man with evil. We find that in Scripture. God doesn't tempt you to do something evil. No. God doesn't tempt you to do something that will cause you to sin. But we do find in the Lord's Prayer where the disciples asked the Lord to teach them to pray. He said a portion of that prayer needs to be dedicated to asking God to not lead you into temptation, but deliver you from evil. I think it's very important we pray that prayer. Lord, lead me not into temptation. I don't know if you've noticed how much trouble's in the world. I don't know if you noticed how much agony and abuse and terrible situations are in the world. Have you noticed? Have you thought about how blessed your life is, about how good God's been to you? Have you ever thought about God's grace to bring you to this point right now? If it had not been for His grace, I wouldn't be here right now. Some of us would already lost our minds, but we're here because of the grace of the Lord. And I pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Let your grace keep me in a path that's not going to lead me into a place of failure. Let your grace be a parameter in my life and keep me from things that will destroy me. It was Memorial Day this past year in this church that I began to talk about a conflict our nation was a part of. And I talked a long time that day and a number of days after that with communicate with an individual that still battled with the sights and the sounds and what happened. They were there. 
I'm telling you right now, God's grace can keep us out of mental torment into areas that's going to torment us the rest of our lives. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This is very important. It's like a police officer sitting here. I think uh, Brother Greg Wright and there's others that, you know, have ambition to be law enforcement and, and first responders. And I thank God for them and I pray for them every day. Uh, there needs to be a prayer on their lips. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Heard a man say, you shoot somebody and kill them. It's not over. You're going to shoot that person every day of your life. Lead me not into that mental anguish, God. Let your grace keep me. Amazing grace. That you may obtain. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what situation is going to hit our family or what the doctor's going to say. So we need to come before the throne of grace to obtain mercy. Yes, I need mercy for stuff I did and didn't do. But I tell you what else I need. I need to find grace because tomorrow I have no idea what tomorrow's going to bring forth. But I need His grace. I don't know what next week's going to bring, but I need His grace. So let us come boldly for our past and for our future. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I love you, Jesus. tell you tonight it doesn't matter what you've done his mercy is able to cover it I think it'd be alright tonight for there to be a, an act of repentance in every one of us that says Lord you're able to cover my past oh God you're able to cover what's happened in my life come on I think it's alright if we stand right now and let's let repentance watch o- wash over this auditorium right now come on Lord I'm able to find mercy I'm able to obtain mercy in this place. Come on right now. Lord.